Hey everybody, it's Hit Rewind. We are now in year 1988. It's been a little while since we did the 1987 season, sorry. Uh, a, it's been too flippin' hot, and I kind of went through some personal trauma with the loss of a friend. Um, anybody who listens to the show um, for a long time will know that uh, my best friend Dave died of uh, embolism um, two weeks ago, and he was part of our movie group, and uh, a lot of the stuff that we're going to be covering, there's going to be memories that pop up of going to the theater with him, and Instead of getting sad about it, uh, me and my other best friend, Ron, was, you know, the three amigos, three musketeers uh, for decades, um, we're just going to remember the good times. And that's the best way I think you can honor somebody instead of just getting morose and broken down. Just, you just cheer them on. So, you know, of all those great years you had with them. Exactly. And that's all you can do. And, yes, that is, that'll be a beautiful way. Jacob, you're cutting it's out. The only kind of way. Yeah. Oh, um, my bad. It's okay. Um, so, and of course, like it's been holidays, and you had a birthday, big boy. Yes! Yay! I was I was actually born this year. I was born in '88. Wow. Did you go do anything for your birthday? Uh, yeah, we did. We um, went out of town. Uh, we went to uh, San Francisco and Daly City. I went to a very nice restaurant, and uh, yeah, just had a few drinks and uh, spent. Good uh, quality time with friends. Okay. Did you go to a? You're usually go to a Giants game, correct? I wish. Uh, you'll get there eventually. All yeah. right. Oh, so, there wasn't one in town though. There was only the uh, A's, and of course, with the prices. Yeah. No, I think we're all. I think we could skip it. Well, while we're talking about <laughs> baseball, 1988 is one of the most amazing years ever for comedies, but there are some really great dramas mixed in here, and one of my favorite of all time is Eight Men Out. The story of the 1919 White Sox and some of them threw the game, and it fucked everything up for everybody, because some people got greedy and some got lazy, and I can't believe this cast. This cast is insane for a $6 million movie. Oh, Gosh, absolutely. I mean, John Cusack, Charlie Sheen. Um, oh, my gosh. Michael Rourke. Rooker? Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's that. And uh, who? Oh, gosh. Now, I'm, I'm trying to remember. There's some names that are like blank that I'm blanking on right yeah, now. Yeah, John Cusack, I would say, is the main character. Uh, you basically go through this whole movie watching through his eyes. And, yes, everybody has, you know, a, a special point, but... There are more focals. Like, Charlie Sheen was the biggest name at the time of this making, but he's really not in much of it. I would say he probably shot for a couple of days. And it's mostly just he loved baseball so much, and he probably helped get this movie made. But other actors in this um, is Goran Clapp, who everybody knows probably from NYPD Blue and nothing else, sadly. Don Harvey was known as being, like, one of those sleazy bad guys in so many movies. Bill Irwin, who I know as, Irwin. as a comedian. We know him from Hot Shots and the Don't Worry, Be Happy video. But he plays a dramatic character in this, which is really unusual. Um, Perry Lang, who ended up becoming a director later. John Mahoney from Frasier. James Reed from yes. North and South. Uh, he's lefty. Um, let's see. Uh, David Strathairn is the other main pitcher, Eddie uh, Cicotti. Yes. Um, and the other star at this time was D.B. Sweeney, and he would kind of blow up for a little bit after this movie because besides John Cusack, this is really focused on him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was the hot shot. He was the one who like had all the talent on that team. 
Yeah, you and know, they young screwed them over. A lot of this is not just because it starts off with a couple of like low level players who want to, uh, who just want the money. That's it. But he takes it as a personal offense because he won twenty nine games, but the rule was thirty. But he was purposely taken out so he would never hit that thirty and he would never get that ten thousand dollar bonus, which is more than what he was paid in a season. These guys, you forget nowadays, everybody gets paid like ten million a season or something fucking insane. They were getting like sixty five big guys, yes, yeah, sixty five hundred nine uh, nine thousand dollars a season. That was it. Yeah, no, this was back in the day. Oh, of course, yeah. Well, you could also see that was clear and you know, uh, motivation that you can't blame them for because you know they. The owners, they clearly show that they're cheap asses. Yeah. I mean, they gave them stale champagne to celebrate them getting into the playoffs. It's like, come on. While they had all the good stuff to themselves. And then they poured in the fire like it was nothing. Like, come on. Yeah, it, uh, Kaminsky, uh. which, of course, named Kaminsky Park. But um, he was just a, a sleazebag when it came to money. And, and they really railroaded some of these guys. Uh, the worst part is, if you, if you haven't seen it, I'm going to ruin a little bit, but if you so uh, John Cusack's character Buck Weaver only knew about it but they decided that since he knew about it and didn't report it he was out and um, Shoeless Joe Jackson played by D.B. Sweeney doesn't even know what he's signing he cannot read and uh, it's going to be really interesting thinking about Fields of Dreams next year which is kind of a weird fantasy follow up to everything that happens here yeah exactly yeah, uh, that's what I wanted to mention regarding D.B. Sweeney. It's like he waived his um, immunity. Like, he can't be immune from any prosecution. Yeah, but he didn't know he because he couldn't read, and they're fucking assholes for even bringing that up to him. If he had a legal representative with him, then, yeah, no, that shit wouldn't have been signed. Yeah. He didn't know his... Yeah, like I said, his ignorance was taken advantage of. But this movie isn't all drama. Uh, I mean, like, you know a lot of movies like... Uh, well, I think of Kevin Costner's movies. The baseball is secondary. Baseball still is up front, and the games are exciting. Um, so it doesn't ignore that while it still intermixes the drama because it's all based around that World Series and how they screw it up. Exactly. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic but, film, and I, I can't believe it just barely made any money. It should have been at the Oscars. Oh, God, yeah. I feel, I feel that way, too. You tell me Rain Cusick, Man? Definitely had... Are you telling me Rain Man's a better movie than this? <laughs> No, from what I remember watching Rain Man, no, I definitely prefer this over Rain Man. Yeah, I feel like I can't even bring myself to watch it because I feel like it's really cringy. Yeah, just to know that they all got screwed over. Oh, John Cusack's character in particular. Again, you could tell John Cusack, you know, being a Chicago native, like he definitely had a lot of heart and love for this project. Yeah, and he definitely put everything into his performance. And he was the overall sweetheart. You know, he hung. You know, he was an inspiration to the neighborhood kids. He really cared for his wife, and he looked out for. Um, Joe Jackson as well. Yeah. Just too bad it didn't turn out better. He tried. He tried his entire life to get clear of that. They never gave him a separate trial. They never gave him any chance to even, uh, you know, get on the stand and talk. They really just, you know, shoved him into a hole with the rest of them. Exactly. That's what they did. They wanted to move on. Otherwise, they would have probably uncovered more stuff. Like, the actual managers knew about it. Yet, they've also pulled some shit, but they didn't want to be incriminated or lose all their money. Yeah, I think. But it's yeah, a, the rest of the su- go, ahead. go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh no worries. Uh, yeah, I just want to mention three more people in the uh, supporting cast: Richard Edson, Michael Lerner, and Christopher Lloyd. Yeah. Oh, and did you see um, 
Damn it, from Three Men and a Baby, she was in Married to the Mob. Nancy Travis is in this briefly, I believe. Yeah, she's, right. Uh, yeah, she's one of the pitcher's wives. And I was just like, how did they get such a stacked cast for such a low-budget movie? Because you look at this, $6 million basically buys you the costumes. <laughs> That's it. Oh, yeah, back then? Shit. Yeah, they must have been working for scale because they love... John Sales was hot and rising at the time. And, you know, sadly, nowadays he has trouble getting any film made. It's like John Waters. These uh, these movies that were more challenging but never made any money so the studios don't want to back them. What's the point of Netflix and Amazon if these directors can't get their stuff made? Give us something that uh, no one else will. I don't want The Tomorrow War. That's a theatrical film. I want to see the movies that can't get funded and thrown in. Exactly. I feel like they definitely have a better shot on the streaming service. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, yeah. again, uh, as far as the movie goes, yeah, John Cusack was the heart of this movie. Big time. And I highly recommend it. All right. So our next film is, because I forgot to write down a list. <laughs> next film is Tucker, A Man in His Dream. Let's get this one out of the way. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's actually the perfect segue because it's a historical drama based on a true story. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I remember watching this in uh, high school, senior year, uh, in uh, Government Nikon. Basically, uh, regarding like uh yeah economics like just basically how like the big three screwed over this one independent car maker who had better designs and better features than you know the big three ford general motors and whatever the hell the other one was (laughs) but yeah no again just uh this is also a francis ford coppola film so as far as like where it was filmed that way it wasn't like a marine county wasn't it yeah, they ha- I believe it was because that's where Lucas Arts was, and that's where Francis Ford Coppola lived. I can't imagine they went to Detroit. They might have, um, but you know they can recreate everything because everything I'm sure in Detroit was all modern by then. You know, because we're talking this is the era when they shot Gung Ho up there, and then you know there's no way you can replicate this. Plus, most of it does pl- take place in like on his farm and uh, like in offices and stuff like that. So you could easily do that. Yeah, no, that doesn't make a lot of sense now that commission. Oh, my God. Uh, but, yeah, again, just the way this movie played out, um, gosh, rewatching it, uh, I couldn't help but think of my freaking uh, government econ teacher, like, and all the little things he, he would do in between for some scenes. <laughs> but, man, it uh, just to see him struggle and just to stay so optimistic, only just to have, you know, a part of this dream made, only 50 cars made, and... After that, like just nothing. Now, have you ever seen one? I haven't seen one uh, up front, but uh, just from what I uh, just from what I've seen, like on Google. Oh my god! Oh, I have they seen look so one. Amazing. Um, about ten years ago, no at the Portland Art Museum, they had a car show of extremely limited cars. You know, stuff where it was a hundred and under. And they had a Tucker oh, there, wow. and it was awe-inspiring. And there were so many gorgeous cars there. It was a touring thing, so it would stay at one art museum for like six months and move on to the next art museum. But uh, this Tucker was unbelievably gorgeous. What, what's heartbreaking about this is he tried so hard, but being a guy basically on his own, being beholden to the stockholders, so they're, they're constantly fucking with what his vision is. He's like, what's the point of this if I'm going to make a car just like everybody else? And they didn't care. They just wanted the money. You know, they wanted to sell off a car that could compete. 
and not be better and safer and it just in you know trying to remove him from the company and demanding that you know they, they take the rights away James, uh, Jeff Bridges gives a fiery performance he is absolutely astounding in this movie and I can't believe this made no money just like eight men out what the fuck seriously I never even knew that about this movie I'm surprised it did I'm surprised it didn't make much money yeah, but I mean, yeah, it, now, you... really grew on video. Oh, oh, I believe it. Yeah, no, I, as you mentioned before, like a lot of movies that don't make it to theaters, like have a huge impact when it comes to video. Yeah, it's like you know, basically, people are like, "Damn, I wish I saw this in the theaters." I love this movie. We get, so, uh, but yeah, well, we have Martin Landau um, giving one hell of a performance after a decade of doing schlock. Uh, we have early Christian Slater. We have early Corin Nemec, Joan Allen, Elias Cotillas, who most people will know as Casey O'Neill from, right? No, Casey, wait, do I have this right? Jones. Casey Jones. It's April O'Neill, Casey Jones from Ninja Turtles, and he's so wildly different in this, and it's a great performance. And then you have the Japanese actor Mako. Mako, who doesn't love my, my name is, uh, what's the one, that, what's he do from uh, Samurai Jack? I am Samurai Jack or whatever my name is. Oh, fuck, we were joking about it at work the other day where he plays the Master Ishu or something like that. He's a giant dragon in that. I love his voice. I miss him. Oh, no, he was great. I mean, he was in Conan the Barbarian. He, actually, both Conan films. Yeah. I believe that he's a really well-known uh, or was a really well-known acting coach. Got it. I mean, I feel like he was definitely an inspiration, especially for up-and-coming, you know, these actors uh, themselves. And he was also in um, Avatar, The Last Airbender. Was he? They even, like, uh, they even did like a little uh, tribute to him at the end of the episode. Okay, interesting. Yeah. I didn't remember him being in that, but he might have been one of the capture, you know, the motion capture characters. Oh, no, no, like, um, no, the uh, animated series, not the... Not oh, that okay, started. that's where I was, I was like, what the fuck? I don't remember him in Avatar. <laughs> no, 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 no. That last... Ender, uh, anyway... <laughs> But yeah, LA, as, as you said about L.S. Cotillas, uh, oh, again, that's where I first knew him from, was Casey Jones from Ninja Turtles. And then this, yeah, he's just like a very like toned down, like by the books kind of guy. Just got out of the military and he wants to work for Tucker and then Tucker kind of, you know, yeah, he uplifts them. Like he tells him, it's like, you ever tell, do, tell me about that, about my design, so help me. I'll give you a raise. Yeah. But he throws a curveball at you. Yeah, he challenges him, which is a surprise. Uh, it's unbelievably gorgeous movie. I cannot believe how well this is shot. Everything has like this, it feels, you know how when you read old magazines or books and they kind of have that golden fading texture to them, that smell? That's the equivalent of this movie. It feels like an old book. And every performance in this is rock solid. They did not spare anything on this, and it's, it's just, I'm glad it found an audience later. Yeah, Martin Lando did get like a best supporting actor nomination. For did it, he? Because so, all I ever know yeah. about him is that he got uh, you know a award nomination later for, or no, he won I think for Ed Wood. But um, I'm too far away from the mic. Sorry, everybody. Um, yeah, but I think it was a really good performance. But if you look at his IMDb before this, it was garbage. It was a lot of terrible, terrible movies. Ooh. Out. Yeah. But great Man. actors always seem to find a way back, even if there is 
something holding him back, like attitude or uh, drug addiction, alcoholism. I mean, look at Oliver Reed. He was almost unhirable for a decade there. Then Gladiator gave him a great final performance. Oh, absolutely, yes, man. And it was. It was one hell of a performance as... Um, I can't remember Crossroad. either. I know. It's terrible. We're both Crossroad? Uh, did you say? <laughs> did you say Mothra? <laughs> Mumra? <laughs> Prothero. A Prothero. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. What is our third film? I would say our third film is Farm with Chevy Chase. Oh my God! Saw this in the theaters with my mom, and it's to this day it is my absolute favorite Chevy Chase movie. Yes, I love Flesh. Yes, I love the Vacation movies. There's something just different about this. And I think it's it's closer to his character Clark Griswold than in Fletch, because um, he's still like a guy just out of his element who loses his shit all the time. You know, he's not cool and smartass like a lot of his movies. A drunk mailman always does that with his mail. I can't blame him. Yeah, like that's what <laughs> he deals with that all the time, and then that's one thing that could set him off after all the other crap he has to endure. Yeah, it's a Norman Rockwell film kind of gone wrong. He thinks he's moving to the perfect, idyllic little town, and everybody there is kind of out of their mind. And everything goes wrong with the house. Dead bodies, his dog runs away, uh, he can't write for anything, he makes enemies of everybody in town. (laughs) It's just, it's not even intentional. It's freaking phone even. Oh, right. It's it's listed as a freaking um, payphone. But Mr. Fama, I know the sound of two coins being dropped in a jelly jar. I wasn't born yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. And then there's, a, oh, God, that one part at the restaurant where he's uh, eating, oh. it turns out he's eating goat ball. Yeah, what do we call it? Prairie oysters or something like that? He goes, that's the most yeah, prairie something. oysters I've ever seen anybody eat. That's a new record. <laughs> goes, how, do you get, how do you get them to taste so good? Well, you got to take the, the, the goat's balls really high up and cut them. <laughs> so I brought it down to 29. And then the other guy that was staring at him, like, uh, you know, spectating, he ends up finishing his plate. <laughs> uh, there's a lots of slapstick. That, this is closest that you'll ever get to Clark, Clark Griswold again. So if you love the Pratt Falls and, you know, like terrible people and stuff like that, it, it is it's a lot of fun. Even his wife kind of becomes his enemy because he ends up taking her word. Oh, yeah. She writes a children's book. She gets inspired. Yet she's a critic. Wait, <laughs> when he, yeah, he's supposed to be... He's a retired sports writer. and He's supposed to be writing the great American like heist novel. And it turns out it's unreadable. It's all over the place. It doesn't make any sense. It's not funny. And he's desperate because he's going to have to hand back all that money, which I'm assuming is the money he used to pay for that house. You know, the, you know the down payment, and he doesn't have it, so he steals her story, which has already been accepted at a publisher, and that's when shit goes wrong, really, really wrong. I mean, exactly like his like he and his wife are going to separate. They're going to try and sell the house, and uh, they even try to bring it. They even have the town go in with them because uh, he's like that. He give them like a little bit of a cut if they help go along with this like perfect town. Just to sell the house because these people seem really interested. But then they, <laughs> at the end, though, which I, uh, spoiler alert, how this movie ends is like one, they end up kind of like realizing that, you know, they still love each other. They don't sell the house. And since they didn't have an actual agreement to give everybody some money, they don't have to do that. But 
<laughs> the town will hold some stuff against them for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's. I think it's a really. I think it's a great performance by him. But what's surprising to me is I never saw Madeline Smith again after this, and I think she she came out of nowhere. This is literally the only thing I think I've ever seen her in, and she holds her own against Chevy Chase. She should have become a star after this. Oh God, yeah, she could definitely see. I mean, knowing Chevy Chase's um, antics behind the scenes. Yeah, she looked like she held her own big time. Yeah. She like put her foot down and was like, well, "No." Yeah, and she's really funny. She's feisty. She's intelligent, and I just shocked that she didn't become a, a you know on every movie poster after you know like a really good A list career. I know. Uh, and yeah, cause I haven't even heard of her. I mean, she. I want to say she looks familiar, but then again, I'm like, God, where, where have I seen her? Nowhere, damn it. Lying <laughs> to myself. <laughs> All right. What but, is yeah, our uh, fourth film? Okay, our fourth film. Threw me off. It's Blake Edwards. It's Sunset. I'm expecting a bit more comedy, but no, this seemed a little more serious than usual. Yeah, I think that's the problem. Is that it was sold. I remember seeing the trailers. I remember being sold as a comedy. It has lighter moments, especially in the beginning. But as the movie goes along, it gets more serious. Now, Blake Edwards is not known for comedy or anything other than comedies. I think he did one thriller, which was called Wait Until Dark with. Uh, Alan Arkin and Audrey Hepburn where she's blind and he comes into her apartment and holds her hostage. I think he directed that one. But this one is a murder mystery in old Hollywood set in the 19... Uh, te- was it teens or early 20s? I can't remember. I would have to say early 20s because it looked like there was sound with uh, with those movies uh, just from the design and the costume as well. And Wyatt Earp was still alive. Um, yeah, no, James Garner as uh, Wyatt Earp though. Oh, pitch perfect, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, that must have been a dream come true for him, considering like he, like again, his career coming up was a lot of westerns. So, yeah, no, he again, he was just like spot on and definitely, honestly, I kind of was like more intrigued by him than I was by Bruce Willis. No offense, because Bruce Willis was definitely had all the spunk and the charisma. Yeah, but he does he feel lightly. He feels slightly miscast. Like he's perfect in Blind Date. He's perfect in Die Hard. But this one, I don't feel Western hero, Western movie hero off of him. It doesn't seem right. But then again, what does Tom Mix look like? I want to see if does he look just like uh, Bruce Willis? Then that would make sense. No, right? No, he does not. <laughs> I don't know who looks like him, but that is not a Bruce Willis face. <laughs> well. I mean, Blake Edwards did have, like, familiarity with um, uh, uh, Bruce Willis from uh, Blind Date, so I feel like that's why he went to him. Probably. And And this is when... There's a time when Blake Edwards was shooting a movie every single year, so I feel like he just went to people he already knew. You know, he didn't have to go do any, you know, test screenings, any, you know, auditions. It's like, I know him, I know him, I know him. Because he already worked with Blake Edwards, or with... uh, 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 James Garner uh, in a couple movies and he had just done um, Victor Victoria like five years earlier with him so he knew him he knew Bruce Willis mm. Malcolm McDowell I mean he doesn't have to audition to be an asshole a villain or whatever it works I know uh-uh, Malcolm McDowell was perfect and I knew you were going to appreciate him and he's like one of if not your favorite actor what Malcolm McDowell are you gone what happened yeah, he's one of your favorite Jacob, where'd you go? I'm scared. I'm alone. In my 
In my mind, that's where I am. The darkest part of my mind. You don't want to go there. Okay. <laughs> um, All right. What? Well, no, Dell's fine. He's not one of my favorite actors, but he is always good when he's a villain. Other stuff, he does a lot of low-budget garbage that I don't really care about. But, uh, no, I probably wouldn't consider him my top 25, but I, I do enjoy when he does pop up. Oh, absolutely. Uh, this one I say I... Oh, gosh, yeah. He was just so Weasley, and I just wanted yeah. to smack him in the face. He played it off so well. Yeah, it's a murder mystery set in old Hollywood where Wyatt Earp comes to the set of a Tom Mix movie, and they just... It's a, a what-if, if you know, if they had been able to solve a mystery together. You know, it's just kind of a fun fantasy tale. Absolutely. And I overall did enjoy it. Um, even a... Uh, what's... Oh, God, what's her name? Uh... Marielle Hemingway. Oh right, I forgot. She Even the part. That. Yeah, she was like uh, the owner provider of that uh, like speakeasy where. Oh yeah, that's right. Alcohol was prohibited. Prohibition. Oh okay. yeah. Yeah, this was the twenties. All right. What is our next film? Again, I I could definitely watch this movie again. Okay, our next film is a Tom Hanks classic. I think it's definitely something to watch on the holiday. Um, big. Yeah, this is the only one I forgot to watch. You were watching it this morning, and I was like, oh, shit, I forgot to watch it, but I owned it, so I've seen it like 100 million times. Um, so <laughs> here's my biggest memory of this movie, though. We rented it at my grandmother's house, and uh, she had to leave because she was so stressed out. It's, it's, oh everything stressed her out. She never watched TV. She never watched movies, but the scene where he's now you know, his older self, and he's in his mom's house, and she's freaking out. She's like, nope, can't take it. Got to go. <laughs> Too stressful. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, oh, God. Honestly, um, there is some, like, good awkwardness comedy to it, uh, to this movie. I mean, of course, you know, a 10-year-old, you know, makes a wish and becomes an adult. And, yeah, just the way it all plays out, um, Tom Hanks, though, my God, it was so believable. It's like, you'd think he was an actual 10-year-old in an adult's body. Yeah, this changed his career. From him. His his first Oscar nomination. This is what starts steering him into A-list projects and more dramatic stuff instead of just the silly, goofy stuff we had seen before. Because you know he's coming off Money Pit and Dragnet and stuff like that. So after this, he does Punchline, Turner and Hooch, Joe vs. the Volcano. It's just there from there on out. He starts uh, changing up genres. Exactly. Yeah, and then Philadelphia was another big hit for him, and. Again, leading up to his uh, other Oscar-winning film, Forrest Gump. Which we're going to revisit, and I'm telling you, everybody hates that movie now. They make fun of it nonstop. I still say it's a good movie. And I was running. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Big is uh, part of that cycle of body swap movies, but it did it differently, and it is the best of the bunch. The first one was like Father Like Son, then Vice Versa. Uh, 18 again and dream a little dream and most of them was a young person an old person switch bodies it's just the freaky friday formula whereas big changes it's uh, uh oper- what is it modus operandi where he just disappears into well not disappears he literally oh, does he grow does he like transform like the hulk i can't remember because his body isn't left behind so he just magically becomes his older self but with his you know 13 year old brain Exactly, and um, no, you know, he and his like his his best friend like help, he has to coerce his best friend into helping him because you know again he's an adult and he scares the shit out of him. He yeah. scares the shit out of his mom in that house too. Ugh. 
Yeah, Jared Rushton, that was the kid's name. I, yeah, I remember him, he was uh, around for a little while there. Well, he was in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and Pet Cemetery 2 and uh, a couple other things. But then he kind of just disappeared. Just like I haven't seen David Moscow either in forever. Yeah, I know. I mean, gosh, when they like make a lot, like uh, you know, being a kid actor, uh-huh. I don't know. It's like they could they could just act happily like retire and just like live off that and do whatever they want, which uh, quite a few of them have done. Heck, even Ralph Macchio, like you know, after the success of Core Eye Kid and a couple projects here and there, he just like very family oriented. Yeah. Oh, um, I I hurt my elbow. Sorry, everybody. Um, so this is also like the breakout for Elizabeth Perkins, John Lovitz. I think this is his. He's been in a couple movies before this, but this is when everybody's like, "Hey, he should be in other things as a strong support." Uh, Robert Loggia. <laughs> All of a sudden, Robert Loggia. Everybody knows who he is, even though he had been around forever. Um, we have John Hurd. Trying to remember Mercedes Rule. I think this is where she kind of broke out, and then she did Married to the Mob later this summer. It really is. And oh, and Penny Marshall all of a sudden goes from uh, just a beginner director to hey, everybody pay attention to Penny Marshall. Whatever she's going to make next is going to be amazing. Yeah, no, this is. I mean, again, with all its, as you mentioned, like the, all the Oscar nominations and all the charm that like ensues throughout this movie. It's like God, yeah, no, it has. Uh, she definitely, she definitely. Uh, oh gosh. What's the right word I'm looking for? Uh, it'll come back to me later. Yeah, she lined up all happened. the pieces, though. That's what she needed, and that's what this movie needed. And I love the fact that, besides the fact it's a great cast and it's a good story, I still have that dream of working for a toy company and designing what they carry and living in a really big apartment filled with toys. <laughs> well, I don't know. With all that space, it's like, gosh, there's so much you could do with it. So, right. yeah, I could, I could play might as well. <laughs> Uh, I, mean, um, I will say Robert Loggia um, I think that's like the sweetest role he's ever played yeah like he he's a usually very, uh, like, a feisty mean guy you know yeah a hard ass tough disciplinary kind of person right that he, piano that John sequence Heard, though, come on that that's a star making moment yeah, absolutely I mean that's unforgettable hell there's even a little tribute to that in the movie uh, The Night Before with Joseph Gordon-Levitt of course with their own little of course with their own little uh twist on it but yeah traditional thing to do now you know go into F.A.O. Schwartz and play on the big piano if it's still there alright what is our fifth film okay our fifth uh, I think we're on number six what no really okay let's go yeah we discussed eight men out Tucker funny farm sunset big how do I do this last but- every single time I'm sorry like King Arthur from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. One, two, five, three, seven, three. <laughs> I'm just ridiculous human being, I swear. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, this was, oh God, this is an absolute treasure. I grew up with this film. Again, it came out the year I was born. I was only a baby when it came out. Uh, Ron Howard classic Will. You are the baby in this movie. That's the truth. <laughs> yeah, they cast me as a girl. Screw it. <laughs> you had the hair that's all they needed exactly it's like gosh it's like uh-huh. and from then on I was very comfortable wearing women's clothing and hanging around in bars <laughs> another little Monty Python nod <laughs> okay but yeah overall this movie being a, uh, by George Lucas and a Lucasfilm production as well uh, again when they get to, when Ron Howard and George Lucas get together they it's absolute magic. 
I mean, them having familiarity working together on, um, you know, American Graffiti. Right. Like, there's already chemistry there. And I'm and sure Ron this Howard movie, I, do with the picture. I'm almost certain this movie got him solo later. Oh, God, I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, his sister, I mean, shit. It's like they practically grew up around each other. Um, yeah, uh, again, just uh, the whole setting of it, you know, this the evil queen played by Jean Marsh. Uh, British actress, uh, she's looking for this baby that will destroy her, bring about her destruction. And so she snuck out by a hit, by a midwife, and then, of course, the baby has to be abandoned to be saved, floats down the river, and boom, a village full of Nelwins, short people. And this is Warwick Davis's big starring role. And yeah. he started off in Return of the Jedi. Yeah. He played Wicked. Hmm. But, uh, did I you mean, know? Just, did you know that John Cusack almost got the role of Mad Mardigan? No way! What? Yeah, he was second <laughs> really? runner up, and they just went with uh, uh, they went with uh, Val Kilmer instead because he just had more of a rebellious kind of sexy nature, I guess is what they're trying to say on the the commentary. But yeah, John Cusack got really close, but without I don't think Eight Men Out would have been made without John Cusack. So I'm glad that one got made, and so did the other. And uh, here's the thing that I'm going to say about this movie. Uh, it was a massive phenomenon promotion-wise when I was a kid. Uh, I had the magazine. Everybody was crazy about the toys. And uh, I didn't know for the longest time that it did okay. It didn't break out like most of the big LucasArts expectations that, that people had, or Lucasfilm expectations. And I watched it over and over and over when we taped it off HBO. And I hadn't seen it in a really long time. It plays better on the big screen than it does at home because about six years ago I saw a revival showing and it's a lot more fun there. I watched it this time. I'm going to tell you. And no, it has nothing to do with the little people. Okay, I don't think I'm, I'm like anti-little people. But that first half hour drags ass. It's not until you meet Mad Martigan that the movie really takes off and I just got kind of bored. Hmm. I also think the brownies, I also think the brownies kind of suck. They're annoying. <laughs> oh yeah, Rick Overton and Kevin Pollak. Yeah, yeah, they are annoying. <laughs> Although I mean, there's that one scene uh, where Kevin Pollak, they're at the bar. He like gets scared by a uh, he gets scared by a cat. Then he jumps into this like big old pint of beer and he's just swimming in it and he just goes beer. <laughs> and he starts swimming it and drinking it. <laughs> oh man! Like I said, there's a lot of good. There's like uh, again, a lot of great comedic elements from like. Um, not only Mad Martigan, mostly from the uh, little brownies, and then of course Mad Martigan himself. When it, oh god, especially like, especially that one scene, like going down the sled, which Warwick Davis even admits, like he was terrified doing. Yeah, I can, I can see that. Cannot yeah. stand stuff like that. Yeah, like you can even see it in his face as they're like going down on the, like going down on the hill on the shield. He's like, ah, oh. uh, but no, that one scene when uh, um, Mad Martigan he falls off the shield and he starts rolling, he becomes a giant snowball crashes into the house and then like um he's just like coming out of this little uh love spell daze and uh you know willow's criticizing him he's like i don't love her she kicked me in the face I hate her. <laughs> yeah i think it's a it's a really wild movie so unbelievable special effects it's like really early morphine i think maybe the first time they used morphine um and then they had great stop motion. That that sequence when he uh, melts the troll and then it turns into a giant creature or whatever. I remember at the time kind of sick. Yeah. The... It's sick to me. You do not see kids' movies like this where it's a little barf-tastic. 
And uh, I just watched that on the big screen. I was like, this still holds up. This holds up better than most CGI for like the next decade. Oh, pretty much. Yeah, no. Again, it being 88 and what they could do. And of course, you know, again, Industrial Light and Magic, shoot, they could do not. They are the go-to for like, you know, special effects. Yeah, really nobody like at that time film. that really hit that level. Absolutely not. Heck, I don't even think, as much as I enjoy Weta Workshop, uh, yeah, no. Well, Weta was barely Again. existing at the time. Same thing for Stan Winston's company. They had only been doing makeup effects. They really didn't do other style of effects. It would be a couple more years before that really kicked in. Uh, so right now, ILM is really the only one doing like anything futuristic, like moving forward. Right, of course. And God, did they not disappoint. Like, even that scene where they... Um, uh, where they're uh, surrounded by the fairies and that queen fairy comes in. Oh man, that still holds up beautifully. Oh, but yeah, it's got like a little bit of everything. It's got like a little love story. That's a bit of a subplot, you know. And of course, like just you know, uh, the concept of like even someone so small can have a big impact, and he did. Yeah. Oh. Apparently, this this was supposed to be. And I don't. If I'm wrong, I apologize. But I, I feel like I heard that this was supposed to be Lord of the Rings. George Lucas had ideas for his own version of it, but couldn't get the rights, just like the way he couldn't get the Flash Gordon rights for Star Wars and just made a whole new thing mm. out of it. Is that what you heard, that this was originally supposed to be a Lord of the Rings, but he could not get the rights? No, I never heard that, but I w uh, honestly, I wouldn't doubt any kind of connection, no matter how small. That It is very similar, now that you mention it. Okay. Um, yeah. Oh. Hmm? Oh gosh, that's right. Uh, there's supposed to be a new. Uh, there's supposed to be a Willow series coming to Disney. Right, Plus. I heard uh, about Disney that. Disney announced it. Yeah. The. Uh, like, yeah. I want to say this though. There is a guy in this. I can't remember his name. I literally just watched the movie. I can't remember his name. But he helps out Mad Morgan. He's the guy with the big red beard. He's with him through the. Oh movie. yeah, the guy who plays Eric. Yeah, he was the original uh, oldest son on Happy Days. Did you know that? That there was uh, there was an older brother. He was pretty useless that first season. I guess he was a basketball player that was in college, and he would just come visit like a few times uh, a season. And then they said we don't really need him, so they got rid of him. But uh, that's how he knows Ron Howard. Wow, dang! He's also the villain. Like, Here, come on, man. He's also the villain in Death Wish Three, the one with the shaved head and the red line down it. Oh wow! Dang, I haven't watched Death Wish three in a long time. Yeah, it. seriously, it's a, he's a really good actor. Gavin O'Hurley, I think, is his name. Hurley, uh, I really enjoyed his performance in this. I think it's a fun. And Joanne Whaley Kilmer is great in this, and she became kind of a name for a while after this. Uh, I think until she decided that she wanted to retire and just be a parent. That oh yeah, and that's when yeah, this is how she and Val Kilmer met, and they were married for at least what ten years. Yeah, I think so. And their kid is a really good actor. I've seen him. Jack Kilmar, I think his name is. Also, who... Oh, no. Someone else I want to mention in this. Uh, Billy Barty. Oh, yes. Thank you. Just as you were saying that, I was like, who am I missing here? Billy Barty? Yeah, this is... Uh, I love him in this. Well, I love him in everything. I know. Seriously, again, he's just so... Incap he's, uh, again, he just captures it. He I mean, he has such charisma. He's been around uh, performing. He, he, had, he performed in vaudeville. He's been around since then. Amazing. Absolutely he, amazing. Yeah. I know. Oh, gosh, yeah. He definitely deserves something honorary from the Oscars. Uh, Pat Roach, uh, who played K General Kale, he was that uh, giant bald Nazi that Indiana Jones fought. That he was in something else. 
Are you talking about the guy that he shoves into the propeller? Uh, yeah, that one. Wow. The big bald one. Wow, I did not expect that. I know. So it's like, yeah, no, I, I mean, there's some familiarity there. Oh, gosh. And then, again, a lot of the short actors I'd seen in so many movies. Tony Cox, in particular. Oh, God, I've seen him in so many comedies. Oh, Bad uh, Santa. Fucking, oh, absolutely, Bad Santa. There was also, even all the uh, date movie, like the parody films, like he'll be around in that. And then there was something else. Me, myself, and Irene. Yes. Oh, God. He killed me in that movie. <laughs> he was a scene stealer. That much is certain. And then Phil Fondacaro, uh, another short actor. I remember him from, um, oh, God, Bordello of Blood, Tales from the Crypt. Oh, yes. That Thank was one you. thing. Yes. And he was also uh, good friends with um, Bern Troyer. Uh, also, Dave Steinberg, who played uh, Willow's best friend. I remember him from Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah, I can't. I could not remember where he was from. He kept. He just really. What was his name? Uh, Misha or something like that. Mihosh. Yeah, Migosh. Migosh. Uh, I remember just going around saying that. Migosh. Oh my gosh. Migosh. Oh my. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's a, that's honestly uh, Lola from Big Mouth would say it like that. <laughs> if you're familiar with that character. No, I don't. I haven't seen Big Mouth. Everybody tells me about it, but oh. I have not. <laughs> I'm addicted. It's my go-to when I need to laugh. Ugh. But yeah, again, overall, just a beautifully well done movie, and of course, it also helps with the fact that I, I literally grew up with it. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Well, those are our those are our six movies for 1988. Of course, we're gonna have at least one more episode of this. Uh, I don't want to. Wow, there's so many though. We're gonna be really selective here. <laughs> I'll send you a list. <laughs> uh, if we have to do eight, we'll do eight, um, or we do like maybe we'll do five and five or something like that. Yeah. Oh yeah, that could work. Five and five. I feel like a five by five. Five is right out. <laughs> Seven. <laughs> uh, all right, marriage. <laughs> all right, everybody. I'll stop horsing around. Have a good night. All right, now we're saying good luck, y'all. And party on, dudes. I can't do an episode without saying that. Bye. <laughs>